Let us pray. Lord, this morning we come before you with attitude of worship, adoration, to say to you that you are our God. As the body of Christ have gathered together this morning to honor your name, we pray that the Spirit of God would move, that you would speak to each and every one of us as the Word of God is proclaimed, that you would move us, that you would enable us with your grace to obey your word and to change the world and make a difference for you for the kingdom of God. Lord, this morning, open our, help us to open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us and help us to be your obedient children. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning, uh, the passage for our uh, message comes from Revelation chapter 22, verse 21 and um, 22. Did I have that wrong? Chapter 22, verse 20 through 21. It be found in New Testament, page 261. Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. Um, gosh, I copied it with me. I'm not sure if it's verse 21 or verse 20, but you will find. It's a very short verse, okay? <laughs> it's the last two verses of the Bible, uh, Bible. Revelation chapter 22. Either starts with 20 or verse 21. I have it differently. I have copied and pasted on my iPad, and then on the bulletin it's different, so I don't have the Bible with me in front of me to tell which one is which, so bear with me. Last, ver- last two verses of Revelation. He who testifies of these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Um, some of you may know um, if you, uh, that Chinese written characters uh, can be read and understood by uh, both Koreans and Japanese. So Chinese words... At least the characters, the meanings, uh, the sound and pronunciation might not be the same, but at least the meaning of it. And if you know a Chinese character at all, one single character has a whole lot of different meanings to it. Um, Chinese uh, were for uh, America, and I don't want to mess it up, but it is meigo. Okay? At least I typed it on the computer and the internet said meigo means China. Uh, China. I mean, America, I'm sorry. <laughs> Chinese word for America is meigo. And the way they came out with this word was they took out the word, four symbol of America, took out the me sound, and made it into a one syllable, me. Guo means country. And the word me, they chose to mean, was beautiful. Now, there are many different sounds that you could, I guess, suppose you could make me, right? Uh, but Chinese chose to take beautiful and added the word country at the end, so it became Meiguo. Well, obviously, Korean, t- taking his written language from China, also copied uh, Chinese word for America, and, but the sound is different because they speak different language, and in Korean, it's Miguk, right? And for Koreans, anyways, they took the meaning literally, and at least back in when I was a child uh, growing up in Korea before I came to the United States. Uh, Korea in the 70s were, was very poor, and as such, you know, uh, Miguk, beautiful country, was literally beautiful country. They thought that um, America was heaven on earth. I don't know if any Koreans nowadays think of it as like that, but at least back then when I was a child, 
It was literally heaven and earth. Now, Japanese took the character also from China, but later they changed it and have the same sound. They met, took out, remember I said America, they took the meh sound out, and what Japanese did was they changed the character to mean abundance of grain. So land of, land of abundance grain. So there's a different pronunciation. I, sound, I mean, the sound is the same, but when you read the characters, they're different. And for me, or, or for at least Koreans, like I said, America was a beautiful country, literally, back in the 70s, and it was heaven and earth. Now, you can imagine when I told my friends that I was moving to or immigrating to America, I was envy of all my friends. I was moving literally to heaven and earth. And so one of my friends said, you know, I'm going to teach you English. Now, before I tell you what that English was, you know, as a foreigner, when you learn your first language, one of the thing, first things that you learn is greetings, right? Hi, and how are you, and et cetera, et cetera. Well, I heard a Korean joke that goes something like this. A Korean tourist was going to go to America, and so he, wa he wanted to learn a basic English uh, greeting. And so he learned that proper way to respond to how are you is to say, I'm fine, and thank you, and you? So he came to America, and he was having fun, touring places. And one day, he got into a huge car accident. And as he lay there injured and bleeding, the ambulance came, and the EMT came over and asked, how are you? And he said, with this barely mustered up English strength, he says, I'm fine, thank you. And you? <laughs> now, that's a joke. Obviously, it's a joke. But, you know, one of the first things that we learn in a foreign language is greetings. But what my friend taught me was something different. But before I tell you what that is again, I need to set this up. Um, I used to live at a part of town where up on the hill lived American expatriates and also American personnel. And below from that, down, down the hill my, was my friends and our houses. And often these Americans would throw their trash bags down the hill. Of course, it would land near my, somewhere around the neighborhood and it would build into trash heap. Well, if you know being children, you know, what would you play? Obviously, me and my friends, whenever those trash sheep come up, we would literally open those up, see what they were, and play. And one of the things that I remember when I, I don't know why, I don't remember stinking anything like that, but I do remember opening it up and seeing Q-tips. But I didn't know what they were. Could never figure out what they were, but they were, you know, out of these dirty trash bags, you see a whole bunch of loads of Q-tips, and I finally figured out when I came to America, but back then I had no idea. And then the reason I tell you that story is because my friend said, you know, I'm going to teach you English. You see Americans living up there, whenever you see them, go and ask them, if you're able to ask, say, chocolate, have you? Of course, they didn't pronounce it that way. They said, chocolate, have you? Right? Make it more Koreanized. So then, then Americans, okay, of course, the GIs up there having chocolate, Hershey's bar would obviously give you chocolate. Well, I was never brave enough to ask anyone, even if I came across many Americans. But I do remember buying imported um, Hershey's chocolate bar. Back then it was one of those rare treats and it was very expensive. So when I came to America, guess what? In the 70s, Hershey's chocolate bar was only 10 cents. Not long after, they went up to 20 cents, but it was very cheap. America was a chocolate heaven, right? Till this day, I love chocolate. And so the, the connection for me between 
Korea to America were Q-tips and Hershey's chocolate bar. Well, chocolates and Q-tips. At least those are for me for my connection between Korea and America. But let's say you're emigrating to another country. What will connect you from this country to that country? Several years ago, I heard it on the, uh, read it on the newspaper that a lot of the retirees from America are moving to Mexico because the cost of living is very low and housing is pretty cheap, uh, food and all those things are very cheap enough for them to live. And so they would move into these communities 30 minutes to an hour away from the border and they would go back and forth. Uh, instead of going, going to places like Florida, they would go to Mexico. Now, if you were retiring and you decided to go to Mexico, what would you take with you? What would connect you to America to Mexico? Now that I got you thinking, what would you take with you when you go to heaven? What would connect you between earth and heaven? I'm not sure if I heard it correctly from Pastor Lance. I think it was one of his sermons, but I heard a story of this faithful woman. When she, was, she died, when she was dying, she told uh, to bury her with her favorite utensils, spoon, fork, and knife. Her idea was that when she went to heaven, she was going to use this utensil, her favorite, because what she enjoyed the most on earth was going to church and having meals with her Christian friends at church. So she wanted to continue this tradition up in heaven. Now, I can imagine that when you get to heaven, having this grand meal with God and all the rest of the saints, but it sounds nonsensical to me for me to take earthly Utensils, silverware, and going up there and eating. But is it nonsense? What if I were to tell you that when you die, you're able to take something up to heaven? Because we're often told, right? Everybody knows that when you die, you can't take anything with you. And that's our thought. But what if I tell you otherwise? What if I were to tell you that when you die and that you get to heaven? When Jesus returns and you are entering into heaven for eternity, that you are able to take something with you. There is a connection between earth to heaven. So let me explain this from our short passage this morning. Revelation chapter 20 to verse 20. Oh, it was verse 20. My mistake. Okay. Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. He who testify of these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, there's a sense of surety and an eagerness on Jesus' part to return. He wants to come back quickly as possible. And this is not the first time he's saying this. Verse 7 in the same chapter. And behold, I am coming soon. Verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. And the last verse, or the second verse is the last. It says, behold, who he testified of these things. I am coming soon. So in this last chapter of the Bible, in this short verses, right, he mentions three times, I am coming soon. Do you hear the conversation taking place between God and us? It's like the conversation that 
God, uh, Jesus is having with Peter when he asked, Peter, do you love me? Confidently, Peter at first responds, Lord, you know that I love you. But by the time he got to the end, he wasn't quite sure. And what I see in this verse is that verse 7 and 12, it says, I'm coming soon. There's no response. It's only at the third, third, third when God's Jesus says, I'm coming soon. He says, amen, come Lord Jesus. Now, since I don't want to go off tangent, I don't want to continue this line of comparing Peter and um, this verse, so I'll do that for another time. But the last part of this chapter, when it says, Amen, come Lord Jesus, it depends on the last verse. That verse, last verse is needed when Jesus says, the grace of the Lord Jesus, I mean, the Bible says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. See, without grace, without grace of the Lord Jesus, I don't know if I am comfortable or confident enough to say, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Let me take you to the beginning of this book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. The emphasis of Revelation, as it starts in the verse 3 of chapter 1, is that you are to obey God's word. You are to do what God commands. You are to do what you hear. Why? Because Jesus' return is near. It's imminent. Interestingly enough, if you look at the last verse of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, it ends with the words of destruction. It says, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter Destruction. If you end the Bible right there in Malachi, it's scary, right? The end with the destruction. That's what the law does. Old Testament was about the law, and law says if you don't obey, there will be consequences. The law demands you follow and obey it. If you don't, destruction awaits. But the law does not empower you. Even if you are powerless, unable to obey the law, law is the law. You must obey. And under the Old Testament, unable to keep the law, I don't know if I could say to Jesus, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Wait, 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 I'm not ready yet. What if you come, what if you come and you me, catch me off guard? I haven't done everything that you wanted and asked for me to do. So there is an emphasis of obeying God's word here. But this time in Revelation, as it ends, what does it say? Verse 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, with all. So instead of destruction that ends in Malachi, in Revelation, the whole book of the Bible, the last chapter, last book, last chapter, last verse of Revelation says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. And it is this grace, unlike the Old Testament, empowers us, enables us to obey God's word, and enables us to enter into eternal life. So without this grace, 
you and I will easily revert back to the Old Testament or the things of this world and yearn for the things of this world and desire for the things of this world, which the law often condemns. And therefore, we're found as guilty sinners. As sinners, we need God's grace. Now, this takes me back to the original question. And that question was, can you take anything with you when you die? Or when Jesus returns? Now, without taking you any more in circle, let me just answer it. Yes, of course you can. I've been hinting it all along. Right? Anything you do in the grace of Lord Jesus on this earth, it will carry over from earth to heaven. You've been having this conversation with God all along. Haven't you prayed on earth as it is in heaven, as you pray the Lord's Prayer every time? On earth as it is in heaven. What do you think you were praying when you prayed the Lord's Prayer? Look at verse 12 of this chapter, last chapter in Revelation. Behold, I'm coming soon. Bring my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Yes, what you have done through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it will be rewarded in heaven. They will carry over. Isn't that what the parable of the talent was all about? You see, the one servant with one talent, what did he do? He never imagined, he never thought that the master was going to allow him to keep the initial investment or initial talent that he gave him much less give him the profit as well. So what did he do? He buried it. He did not depend on grace of God. He did not use that talent in the name of Christ. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 through 15, he reads, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's works is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you see it? The foundation of Jesus Christ, who gives us grace, is precisely the reason why our works will survive the fire and carry into heaven. So grace acts like a channel. It empowers you, enables you, and to say that all the good deeds and good work that you do on this earth, it counts when you get to heaven. Well, at this point, I need to define for you what grace is. So often we Christians, we use Christian lingo, right? And then we assume that we're talking about the same thing. And when you really discuss it, you realize, wait a minute, you're thinking of what grace is different from the way I think of grace. The way you think of faith is different from the way I define faith. So let me try to define it for you so you understand where I'm coming from. A lot of, a lot of the Christians have defined using the acronym G-R-A-C-E, like God's riches at Christ's expense, or gift received at Christ's expense. Basically, he's saying, yes, at the cost of Jesus, you have freely received. That's what grace is. Pastor Lance, when I saw him outside with the youth group, uh, one of the youth members one day, 
made it very easy for that youth to understand the difference between grace and mercy. And he said, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Getting what you don't deserve. It's like you don't deserve going to heaven, but Jesus Christ at his cost, you get it going into heaven. Mercy, on the other hand, is the opposite, is that not getting what you deserve. Because we, as sinners, we all, deserve, we all deserve punishment. But mercy delivers us, and we don't get what we deserve. The sinners don't deserve death, but God saves us. Well, Pastor Lance made a, gave us a very good definition, but I'm not saying he did any bad. I'm just taking a step further to, to define my definition or my understanding of grace and my understanding of grace is this, basically. Grace is God's ability in me to do what I cannot do for myself. Did you get that? Grace is God's ability to do what I cannot do for myself. I cannot save myself. No way. But it's Christ who enables me through the cross for me to enter into eternal life. So grace empowers. Grace enables I'm preaching today not because I'm good at preaching, but because God enabled me. Are you kidding? Pastor Lenz, first, when I first came to this church, he said, oh, you weren't born, you're not a second generation, you were 1.5. Well, a few months later, I've been upgraded to 1.75. And the latest I, latest I heard was 1.8, 1.9. I guess, well, you're more American than Korean, so we'll upgrade you. So I've been upgraded. Okay? I don't know when he'll, he'll downgrade me back to 1.5, but... You understand, right? English is my second language. Okay? Why would I be, right, even now, I mean, it's sort of hot in here, but, you know, it's butterflies in my stomach, nervous, right? Obviously, if you're standing up in front of people. But what enables me to do that every time I come up there to preach? It's the grace of God. I can't do it on my own, right? So I depend on God, and grace of God enables me. So this past week, I've been asking people, I even fasted one day, asking God, God, I don't want to do it on my own. I depend on your grace for me to come up here and preach your word. That's God's grace in action. So God is having this conversation, conversation with us about carrying things, right, into heaven by the grace of God, on earth as it is in heaven. So he, he, he empowers us through the thing called grace, and now we need to talk about what we need to carry on, how we make the connection between earth and heaven. Now, this carrying over our works that we were able to do through the grace of God is the connection between earth and heaven. Let me explain. People have been told many times, uh, especially evangelical, a lot of the Christians in America have been told that earth and heaven is different, that when you die, you enter into heaven, that earth will be no more. And in fact, when Jesus returns, what happens? Earth will be destroyed. God will just snatch up all the Christians and enter in forever into heaven and eternal life with God. And somehow, some way that we, want, we don't want nothing to do with earth because we're spiritual, we're going up to heaven to be with God. Well, that's not what the Bible really says. It never says that God is going to destroy this earth that we're living in. In the Bible, um, certainly if you looked at the Malachi and ends with there, then you would think that there's a destruction. But in Revelation, at least anyways, if you look at it carefully, what he's saying is that 
that by the grace of God, not only will God let you enter into eternal glory, but also the whole earth groans for the return of Christ. Okay? Let me clarify this a little, bit, a little better here. Let me ask you a question. Are you, as a Christian, waiting for Jesus to return? Yes. Well, what if you're dead and you're in heaven with God? Are you, as a Christian in heaven, waiting for Jesus to return? Yes. But the question is, if you're in heaven already, why would you wait for Jesus to return? You're in heaven. Well, let me put it this way. The place for God is heaven. Place for human beings is on earth. Why? For in order for to be human, you have to have the body. Right? And if you're in heaven with God, you're, you are a disembodied human. Right? You don't have the body yet. Because either if you're living, you have the earthly body, you're living here. If you're dead in heaven with God, well, your dead body is dead and buried. And so we're all waiting for Jesus to return so that we might have what? The resurrected body. So on earth, if you're alive, you are waiting for Jesus to come because you want Jesus to come sooner as possible. You don't want to experience death. Waiting for Jesus' return to transform into a resurrected body. If you're in heaven with God already, you are waiting for Jesus to return so that you could regain your body, a resurrected body, to enter into eternal life with your resurrected body. And so we're waiting for Jesus to return to have this resurrected body to do what? To enter into, the Bible says, new heaven and new earth. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, it says, Then I saw new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, Prepare as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Behold, dwelling places of God is with who? For man. Man belongs where? Well, resurrected body belongs to new heaven and new earth. Well, when God first created heavens and the earth and placed man in Eden, that's where God dwelt. He dwelt with man there. He met with man in Garden of Eden. But you know, and I know that Adam and Eve messed it up. And so in the end, when Christ redeems us all, he brings us into a new heaven and new earth. And there he will forever dwell with man. It's like the second Eden, if you will. So now, the earth does not mean that it's going to go away, that he is going to restore. In Romans chapter 8, verse 19 to 23, I'll just uh, uh, summarize it for you because we're taking up time. But if you look at the passage, what it's saying is that whole earth wait for the redemption. The creation groans, like giving a child giving, a, I mean, parent giving, a mother giving a birth, right? Groans for the re- restoration. So it's not just humanity. It's not just human beings who are waiting for Jesus to return so that we might have a resurrected body and enter into new heaven and new earth, but it's the creation itself, the trees, the, the ocean, the, 
skies. All that you see wants to be restored. It was under pain because of sin. It was subject under the condemnation. But when Christ returns, you see, he will restore and bring about new heaven and new earth. That's the connection. Because we're entering into new heaven and new earth, what you do on this earth with the grace of God will carry over, you see, from earth to heaven. Your works count if you do in the name of Christ, if you act out of grace of God. So what does this all mean to us practically? What is God saying to us? First and foremost, I think, is for us to be ready. Jesus is coming back. It seems to us, by time-wise, it's taking a long time, isn't it? Right? When is he coming? Okay, it's been 2,000 years since he died, okay? I don't know exactly how many years, but at least near 2,000 years, some, some odd time. But he hasn't come yet, so when is he coming? Well, Bible over and over, and it doesn't tell his exact time. But it does say, I'm coming soon. It's very imminent. Be ready. Don't get caught off guard. Secondly, and I think this is a very practical part, keep doing what you've been doing. Except, except, this time, do it in the name of Christ. Do it in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even if you have the ability, capability, and you have the know-how, instead of counting on yourself, count on God's grace and do it in the name of Christ. Why? It will carry those things that you do in the name of Christ, those things that you do in the grace of God, it will carry over from earth to heaven. So that's why Colossians chapter 3.17 says, Whatever you do in words or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Right? It's just, he's not recommending. He's not suggesting. He's commanding us, do everything in the name of Christ. Why do everything in the name of Christ? Once again, because he carries over. You could take him with you when you die. So therefore, every move you make, every decision you make, Make it together with Christ. That's why, I, you know, I said, last time I was here, I said, or I was standing up there preaching, I said, you know, how are you? And you're to respond, Jesus and I, right? Because I want you to think about whatever you do, that you're doing it with Christ. Several weeks ago, we went on, a, our children went on a family camp, and there was one volunteer who came, wanted to provide meals for the campers, and she came for three days, spending her time in the kitchen, right? She went grocery shopping with her own money. She didn't even want to get reimbursed, right? And she was in, spent a lot of her time or most of her time in the kitchen making meals. Why, why would anybody do that? For the goodness of our heart? I'll say more because it's grace of God that enabled her. Or when I heard that youth, uh, youth group were having their summer escape, I was here dropping off my daughter and I saw somebody's uh, camping equipment there, sneaking bags and mat. And I said, whoa, is that so-and-so? And Xander -so? says, yeah. And then I looked at the parking lot. There was that person's car, the SUV. And I said, are you taking that up there? Because Jesse, I mean, uh, Jesse was driving it. And I said, yeah. Wow, I could understand somebody lending out their camping equipment. But your car? As a pastor, I can't even do that. But how was that a pastor able, person able to do that? It's the grace of God. You see, it's the grace of God. So Carol, when you sing with all the rest of the choirs, the choir members, Tom, right? Kyle, 
Do it in the name of Christ. Do it. I know you guys sing well, but don't do it out of your ability, but do it in the name of Christ. Do it through the grace of God. Why? It carries over from earth to heaven. I know Bobby's, you know, way back there with the soundboard. We never get to see her down here. But Bobby, do it in the name of Christ, working your soundboard. Why? You'll carry over somehow. I don't know how, but it will carry over from earth to heaven. And those people with Usher June and Dick, you know, you're working out there every Sunday. Well, do it in the name of Christ. I can't mention all the names. I guess I could sit here and start looking at everybody, pointing and say, hey, do it in the name of Christ, what you do. But I'm not, you know, you get the point, right? And I'm not just talking about church stuff. I'm not just talking about spiritual stuff. If you're a mother raising your children at home, what? Do it in the name of Christ. Do it by the grace of God. There are times you, I know you're fed up, you know, oh, I can't take this. But, you know, do it. That's when you ask for grace of God. Do it in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do it in the name of Christ. Even raising children, it will carry over from earth to heaven. And all the good things that you do, maybe every mundane things that you do, if you do it in the name of Christ, it will carry over somehow, one way or another, from earth to heaven. Just imagine if you and I begin to act and behave out of the name of God, name of Christ, the grace of Jesus, how this world would change as society moves further and further away from God, evil is happening everywhere. In the last several weeks, just a month, month have passed, right? Three massive shoot, mass shooting. You got one at Gilroy in California, another one in El Paso, El Paso Texas, another one at uh, Dayton, Ohio. And just this past week in Garden Grove, not far from here, mass stabbing, four people killed, two injured. What's going on? And I'm reminded of Romans chapter 5, verse 20, where it says, Where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. Where some people are bent on doing evil, God calls us, you and I, as people of God, to live out in grace, to do good deeds, to act out in a way that represents God here on earth. You are representatives for God on this earth, and you're to do good deeds. You're to confront evil with God's grace. You're to confront evil and bad things in the name of Christ and turn evil things over to God and make it good with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, the way we deal with sin is grace. The way to deal with evil is grace. The way to deal with anything on this earth is grace. So that last verse of the last book ends this way. He who testifies of these things, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. When you and I act out of God's grace, God will begin to change the world. And you'll live a life that enabled by God's grace to do good deeds and begin to change the world little by little and claim God's kingdom here on this earth so that when you die, when Jesus returns, that we're able to take those good works you did in the grace of God from earth to heaven. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, we thank you so much that we have learned that grace enables us to do your work. Lord, that everything that we do, big or small, help us to do by your grace so that it will count when you return, that will survive like gold silver, or silver, and that you may be 
happy with us, that you may be pleased with us, and you'll be able to say to us, you good and faithful servant, you have done well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.